Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of karma by Sadhguru, a yogi's guide to crafting your destiny. He's huge, this guy, isn't he? He's a big boy. No, I don't know physically, but definitely spiritually, he's enormous uh, in terms of worldwide popularity as well. Karma, uh, we've probably got a s- certain idea of what we think karma is in the West, but uh, we're going to have a look at what karma sort of actually means from a yogi's point of view. Well, our conception of it can be best be felt out by his mate, Shankaran Pillai the Shank, who uh, one day he purchased a whopper boat, a huge, <laughs> huge boat, cost 10 million bucks, and he took his Puerto Rican wife out for a romantic cruise, and unfortunately, misfortune struck, and the boat was wrecked, and it sunk in the ocean, and they were in a bit of a problem here, because they only had a couple of days of canned food to go off. Yeah, they managed to swim to this tiny remote desert island and his wife said, look, we're marooned, we're screwed, there's no sign of help. How the hell are we going to get out of here? But uh, big Shank, Shanker and Pillar, he was just sitting there in his yogic pose, saying a few alms, he was just chilling there. He says, don't stress, my dear, don't stress, we're going to be saved very, very soon. He said, I didn't tell you before our wedding, but I've got a bit of history. At one stage, I had a huge student loan, but... I moved cities to New York without paying the loan, but finally I was I was found and I was caught by the creditors three months later. But then he went to California where he got a car and again settled it off. He actually borrowed more money in California and got a Rolls Royce with the gold trimmings and everything like that with a $2 million loan, but he was found there again by the debt collectors. And then finally he went to Mexico now and he took out another loan of $5 million to go and buy a home. But of course, the debt collectors, they kept finding him wherever he went. So then he finally went to Texas. He took out this big loan for $10 million to buy this big boat. And of course, that's when unfortunately this big boat crashed. They were sitting on the desert island. They had their cans of food, but he says, look, don't worry. They're going to come and find me because they always manage to find me. And this realization that he could never escape the creditors is a phenomenon known to the rest of the world by karma. Uh, metaphorically in this sense. It's this idea that whatever we've done in the past, um, it's going to be inescapable. It's going to catch up to us and something's going to bite us in the bum for something we've done previously. Yeah, we. I guess the Western view of karma is, uh, you said it's like the audit system. You know, you do this one, you've got this tally of bad things and then some other bad things are going to come back to get you. And hopefully then you can use this to say, okay, well, if you do good things, then good karma is going to come and get you. But that's probably a bit bit simplistic. What we're going to dive into now is, I guess, the more Eastern mysticism version of karma, looking at karma through the eyes of Sadhguru. So, what is karma? If you look at the word literally, it just means action. But unfortunately, most people around the world, we've understood action in terms of good and bad deeds. Like we see karma as a balanced sheet of merits and demerits, virtues and sins, so a life order of sorts. Let's say if uh, six years ago, that you kick someone walking down the street in the shin really hard and <laughs> just walked off and ran away and started laughing. Or if you were a bit younger, and this is what I used to do, we used to, I'll tell you about the time we used to um, go knick-knocking and have a bunch of mates with water bombs. And, oh, really? Uh, it was so much fun at the time. <laughs> and as soon as they'd opened the door, you'd peg water bombs at it. We we're only 17 years old or something. <laughs> that's, right? mate, that's too old to be knick-knocking. <laughs> I thought you were going to say seven or nine but or you're something. Throwing, you're pegging the water bombs at them. And I remember one time... Uh, dad's daughter opened the door and she copped it and then the dad chased us and well this is good for um good good analogy karma here because the the dad found me yeah. out of all my mates and uh, i had my bike helmet on because i was on a bike and he started smacking me Oof. against a brick wall <laughs> I said what are you doing mate 
But anyway, so that's this is the Western idea of karma. If you throw water bombs at someone or if you do something bad, eventually the dad's going to get yeah. here and, and smack you up for it. <laughs> that's, that's a bit too wild. I reckon you should have outgrown that phase a few years earlier. Um, but karma, in this sense, really has nothing to do with reward and punishment. It's nothing to do with a great auditor in the sky. It's not that uh, God's looking down on you for throwing water bombs and saying, here's your punishment. It's getting smashed up against a brick wall by an old dude. That's just like a very simplistic way of looking at it. We want to go dive a little bit deeper into karma. So, karma is about becoming the source of your own creation and shifting responsibility from heaven to yourself. And it is a natural basis of all existence. Um, It's an internal thing. It's not a law from above. It doesn't allow you to go out there and blame parents, teachers, countries, politicians, gods. It's all up to you and it's all your own fate. It's You're squarely responsible for your own destiny and above all, the nature of everything you're experiencing in life. That's right. He says that karma is like creating a blueprint for our own lives. And it's not that there's some spiritual being that is the creator of our our fate and uh, based on our past actions, that's what we're going the hand we're going to be dealt. Really, it's about creating your own. When we say this is my karma, we're actually saying I am responsible for my own life and I'm responsible for creating my own blueprint. So, karmic action is based on three levels. You've got your body, your mind, and your energy. So, whatever you do on these three different levels, it leaves a sort of residue or imprint on you. And it's quite simple, all right? Like your five senses, they're always collecting data from the outside world every moment of your life. You're literally being bombarded with the stimuli at every instant. And this is somewhat how you're acting in the world is imprinting on the, the karmic levels of your body, mind, and energy. It kind of works the other way as well in that your karmic body, mind, and energy are actually filters through which you're seeing the world. So, your mind is shaping the experiences that you see uh, and because this is your karma. So, it's it works sort of in both directions like a bit of a feedback loop that your senses are taking things in and that's affecting your karma and also your karma is adjusting how you're experiencing those things as well. So, an analogy for how karma works, it's a bit like a CD where music is being recorded. The disc, it's like your body, whether it be physical, mental, or energetic, but the music is analogous to the impression recorded upon your body. So, all you notice as you're living is the music, what comes out, but it's really the imprints on the actual CD which is causing what the music is to come out. So, when we're just experiencing the music, it's hard for us to really be aware of unconsciously what's happening and what's imprinted on the CD, which is causing the, the external experiences in the world. So, once this CD has been recorded or written, you've created this CD... Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what a CD is, if you're too young, that was before the days of Spotify, of course, when you whip out the old Walkman and listen to the the disc, then you keep hearing the same music over and over. And once this CD has been written and it keeps playing, it's, it seems like you're no longer in control. You keep hearing those same patterns over and over and over. Your life sort of turns a little bit habitual, a little bit repetitive, a little bit cyclical, and you can sort of become trapped or become ensnared by your own patterns. Yeah, so based on the information from the past, there's certain memory that's being stored up inside you on the three karmic levels and the same patterns are going to keep recurring. All of a sudden, your life, it's going to turn habitual, repetitive, cyclical, and over, and over time, you're ensnared by these patterns. So for instance, you might be dominated by food or substance abuse. It might be really hard to emerge from this because you keep falling back into the trap. Um, we've all got our traps that we fall back into but the only way to get out of it is to consciously rewrite our own karmic software go back to the cd and rewrite that and this is the first step of being released from karma because this software can be rewritten it can be dropped or it can be distanced 
So basically our uh, traditional, our, our own sort of understanding of what we think karma is, it's very simplistic. We see it as this external system of crime and punishment. You do something bad, then eventually something's going to catch up to you and punish you. But it's not really an external thing. It's actually an internal thing. It's something created by us, something generated by us. Uh, these patterns, they're not oppressing us from outside. They're actually created from within us. The things that we do are sort of setting about uh, a pattern or a habit and the things that we do actually then attract those things back towards us. Yeah, so these imprints that we have, they configure themselves into different tendencies in our personality. In India, this the word to describe these things have been traditionally called vasana, which literally means smell in in Hindi, I guess is the main language there. And it's this smell that you generated is from the vast accumulation of impressions on your physical, mental, and emotional and energy actions. So depending on the type of smell that you emit into the world, you might attract certain kinds of life situations to yourself. So think of a flower. If the, a flower has gotten a certain kind of vasana, it draws a certain life and attention to it, the flower itself cannot move, it can't choose where it goes. But because it's got such a good smell, such a good fragrance, it actually might be chosen to be a flower that is then taken, say, to a temple and used as part of their worship. So because that flower is putting out that delicious smell, then that's the type of flower that gets chosen to be worshipped in a temple. Yeah, so I'm trying to tie the two analogies here together. I don't know how we'll go here, but because the, the imprints of the CD, I guess, of the flower... <laughs> In this sense, it's putting out its own music into the world, which is a bit like its fragrance. And that means it's going to have a totally different set of external events that happens to it because of its internal, um, how, it, it, how it portrays itself into the world. So, in other words, depending on the vasana that you have, the smell that you emit, where you're going to land up in life is going to be in totally different places than if you emitted a different vasana or smell. Mm. So that's it. The simplistic view is uh, if you want to be that flower that's chosen to be worshipped in a temple, it's not uh, that you just go and help a granny across the street uh, or it's not that just you help someone carry their groceries to the boot of their car or anything like that. Those deeds aren't the things that lead you to being chosen. It's actually the just the, the way of being, the ongoing things that you do that are creating your destiny, that are creating your vasana. And it's important to see that you know our life seems determined, but it's not determined by some outside force. It's actually determined by us unconsciously, by what we're putting out into the world, whether that's a CD or a software or a smell. So we write our own smells or our own software um, so, depending on the fragrance we emit in the world, which we're totally responsible for, we can attract different life situations. And some people seem to constantly attract pleasant situations into their life and other people out there, they're constantly attracting unpleasant situations. Let's talk about Big Shank again. Shanker and Pillai, um, <laughs> Big Sad's mate is the Big Shank. Big Shank, he decided to go fishing. Uh, fishing... He got pretty bored pretty quickly though. Thankfully, he'd brought a case of beer with him and it was a pretty hot day. So as he was waiting to get lucky to get a tug on his on his string, he uh, he cracked a, he cracked open the first can and just started sipping. And because it's because you know pretty long and boring day sitting out on the boat, he was just waiting there, just waiting, sipping on his beer, sipping on his beer. Eventually, he grew pretty tired, grew pretty drowsy. He just thought he'd just close the eyes for a little bit there. All of a sudden, a big fish bit the bait and tugged at his line. The drowsy shank, he's had his eight or nine cans down at this stage. Um, he gets pulled into the water by this big powerful fish and all of a sudden he's splashing in the water and there's a small boy 
with his father passing by. And the little boy goes to his father and says, Daddy, look, is the man fishing the fish or is the fish manning the man? <laughs> it's, it's an important question. It's a, just a different change of perspective. It's almost like a dad joke, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit. He's got a lot of dad jokes in this book. But you've got to realize, are you running your own life or is your life running you? We've pursued so much uh, our well-being, our home, our business, our car, our spouse, our children, our club memberships, all these things that we're pursuing. But when we have a look back and see, are we the ones who are trying to catch these fish or all these different fish catching us? On a certain evening, two mates, they were walking together and it was their weekly custom to visit a prostitute every Saturday evening <laughs> as, as these two mates do. And whilst they were walking... They heard a voice delivering a discourse on the Bhagavad Gita, India's great sacred text. One of the men, as he was walking towards a prostitute, he was seized by guilt and he thought, how can I possibly go and visit this prostitute whilst at the same time on my walk there, I'm hearing about this great sermon from uh, one of these great spiritual and religious leaders. So he thought, you know what, you go ahead by yourself this time. I'm going to go to uh, to church or to chapel or I'm going to go to this lecture hall to listen to this speech and listen to some great wisdom instead. So this man who didn't go in to see the prostitute just hanging out in the lecture hall, his thoughts the whole time were full of envy of his mate and just thinking about what he's getting up to with this <laughs> prostitute. So he was convinced that the other man, he's just having the time of his life in there and I'm just sitting here in this lecture hall just listening to, to stuff, what have I bloody done? And he couldn't help feeling that his friend had made the more intelligent choice, choosing the brothel over this scriptural discourse. <laughs> yeah, but of course, the other man who actually did go to see the prostitute and was getting a bit busy, his mind was actually thinking of his other mate who had gone to, gone to the lecture hall instead. And he thought he was full of admiration He'd, for this strong friend who'd actually chosen the path to liberation. He was able to resist his carnal urges and instead he went to go on some kind of spiritual discovery instead. Mm. So I guess for the listeners here, who's going to be carrying the worst amount of karma here? The one who saw the prostitute or the one in the uh, in in the church, so to speak, just hearing scriptures. <laughs> you would, yeah, you would think it's you would think it's obvious that the bloke who went who went to listen to some wise words would be better off compared to the bloke who went to the prostitute and just gave in to his his uh, natural temptations. But no, it wasn't. No. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. Actually, it was the man envying the prostitute seeker who picked up the most karma. And this is a bit of a paradox. It's because. It's not just about what you're doing, your external actions in the world. There's also the internal mental imprint that you're, that you're writing up as well. And whilst he was sitting there in the church, he wasn't listening to the scriptures. He was just thinking the whole mm. time um, about the dirty deeds he could have been doing in, instead. Yeah, that's right. So even though he was physically present in that lecture hall, he wasn't mentally or spiritually present at all. All he was thinking about was what he was missing out on on the other side. Compare that to the other bloke who physically he was getting um, serviced. Mentally and spiritually, he was actually thinking about what was he missing out on if he had have gone to that lecture theater instead. So people often assume it's all about external action, which it's not. They think performing acts of charity and virtue, helping the old grandma down the street, doing things like that, it's going to earn you good karma. But what we never realize, it's a lot subtler than that. It's more about volition and the events that you're playing internally within the self. Let's, let's go for another situation here. Let's say you're playing with a knife and that knife hit someone 
on the head and they fall down and they're dead. That's sort of one option that, that might happen. That's one kind of karma. Okay, let's go another scenario. Maybe you're, you're chopping your vegetables, getting ready for dinner and then you get into an argument and in this fury of rage, you just reach out and stab the person in the chest with that knife and then they die. That's another situation. A third situation, it could be you've got this enemy, someone you despise and you meticulously plan how you're going to do it and then you uh, go and meet them and then you plunge that knife into their chest. You've got a fourth scenario where maybe you have this enemy but you think, oh, I'm going to invite them over to dinner. I'm going to give them a wonderful meal and then just as they relax, just as they have that that third or fourth sip of wine, they uh, lean back in their chair for a bit of a spell. That's when you sneak up and slit their throat. Or you've got a fifth situation where you're just a perfectly normal behavior, no knife, you put the knife back in the, the second drawer of the kitchen, but internally you're plotting about all these terrible things that you want to do to your enemy, that person you hate, you're just thinking of all the things that you wish you could do, but you never actually act on them and they both, everyone stays alive. So there's five different situations here. The first four were had the same ingredients, but were all subtly different. The consequence for the other person is the same. They're on the ground, drop dead. Not a good, not a good uh, outcome for them. But remember, when we're looking about karma, it's it's on the level of bitterness and hatred that causes karma internally, and it's not all about the external act alone. So if we think about this, it's actually the fifth outcome again, which is the worst in terms of the karmic accumulation, because for them, although they don't commit the act, they're repeating the same act of bitterness a million times within the self. They can't stop thinking about stabbing this person to death. <laughs> exactly. So, even though on the, again, the simplistic view, four times you've just killed someone, you'd think karma is going to come back and get you. But really, the karma is the thing that we're creating in the world. And by us constantly thinking all day, every day about how we could kill or torture this, this enemy of ours, that's actually the thing that's going to build up the worst amount of mental karma. So, this is, you know, repeating the same act mentally. For the person who actually does it, they're going to experience physical karma. Obviously, they're going to prison, but there's the three types of karma, remember, the mental one and the spiritual one. So, um, all three are at stake when we make our actions into the world. Yeah. So, rather than being imprisoned externally because we've uh, been charged with murder, we're actually going to imprison ourselves internally because of this constant and never-ending thought that we're living through. So, a lot of the suffering that we have in the world, it is all psychological and it's produced by you and it's 100% self-manufactured. So, in the world, we don't really have a choice of pain. If we're feeling sick, you break your leg or whatever you might do, you can't do anything about the pain. But when it comes to suffering, we've 100% got a choice and we can always choose not to suffer. The karmic substance inside of you may have all these different ingredients that could mix together to create suffering. And perhaps in the past, we probably have mixed all these ingredients together and have had a bit of suffering. Uh, but today, our choice, the answer is simple. The answer is that we don't manufacture this suffering for ourselves. Even though we've got all those ingredients laid out on the bench ready to cook up that big meal of suffering, instead, we can just leave them on the bench and not mix them up. In continuing this food analogy, if you think about agriculture, a lot of the actions there are just weeding. So there are more weeds than plants growing in your garden. If you keep weeding you're going to have your garden. But if you just sit back defeated without the karmic action here, you're just going to have a patch of weeds. Yeah, so we need to plant those positive karma seeds, but we also need to weed out all those negative ones as well because those weeds are going to keep popping up everywhere. And this is where that volition comes back in and this is where intention becomes paramount. If you decide not to perform that weeding, then you, your, your garden is going to become overgrown, this wild wilderness, 
but you need to just do those simple actions, uh, those simple acts of seeding and weeding, and then your life can yield this incredible rich harvest. As human beings, we all know that we experience time as three different dimensions, the past, the present, and the future. Our lives and our language are structured around all of these things. The way we talk, the way we act, the way we think, the way we remember, they're all based around the past, present, and future. If we have a think about it, in actual fact, all that we call our past, it exists only as memory. So, all the events in your life that have shaped you, all the work that you've ever done, all the money that you saved up and you've popped in the bank, the awesome vacations you've been on, all the conversations and arguments you've ever had, all the relationships of love, hate, indifference, all friends and enemies that you've nurtured, the books that you've read, the movies that you've watched, all of these things exist only in your memory. Similarly, all the things that we call the future exist only as imagination. Everything we long for, everything we dread, the dream house, the perfect mate, the baby, the promotion, the pay rise, the accolades you believe that you deserve, the terrible accidents that you think might happen to you or, the, or your loved ones, all the ways that you could lose your money, all the ways that your house could burn down or be robbed, all the uh, apocalyptic ways the planet could meet its end, all of these things exist only in our imagination. So, these are the only two things that we're suffering from right now. And that's both the memory, things that have happened to us in the past and the imagining the things that could happen to us. These things are happening in our mind and they are aspects of our psychological reality which cause this suffering, but really they've got nothing to do at all with the existential reality. If we stop for a moment and just ask ourselves, when we're not lost in the mental constructs of memory or the mental construct of imagination, where are we? And there's only one answer to that if you're not caught. It's the present. It's not a creed or a matter of faith. It's seriously just the reality. It isn't an idea. You don't have to try and be in it. You are in it in the moment and there's nowhere else to be. And existentially, this is the only truth. It's just a lot of the time we're not available to it. This moment contains an infinite number of possibilities. We can destroy our entire psychological structure to create a new one in this present moment or we can just stop creating entirely and just exist as pure, formless life. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting idea if, uh, if you think about whatever your suffering might be. It might be the current state of the world right now. It might be COVID, might be politics, might be a financial situation. But really, if you just think about uh, what is happening right, right now in the present and you're not living in the past or the future, it's really hard to be suffering um, if, you know, all pain aside, it's very hard to suffer when you're just being in the present moment. Mm. This present moment's pretty good right now. Mm. Yeah, the only the only time it's not is, as you said, when you're stuck about thinking about all the bad things that are, ha, have happened in the past, or if you think about all the bad things that could happen in the future. Uh, they're the, they're, that, that's what's really going to kill the present moment. But if you can sort of let go of the memory and let go of the imagination, the present moment's actually pretty pretty darn good. It is, and it's not a theory. It just means that reality is just the way things are. So whatever is happening externally, just the way it is, and you as yourself in the present can align yourself to the way things are and not the way it should be. And if we can do that, we can really just eliminate the suffering in our life. Most people don't know how to be at ease. Um, restlessness rules their lives. Uh, I can definitely say this is for myself as well. It's, uh, it's a lot easier to get caught up in the past or the future and it's a lot harder to switch off from all that and just be, try to be still and try to be in that present moment. 
yeah, our minds can go a million places. It's so easy to just have this perennial sense of elsewhereness. But if we choose just to be in the moment, we are aware, then you're, then you're present. It doesn't matter where you go, whatever you do, you can always be in this moment. You can do what you want, but you can always be in this moment. You can think about yesterday, think about tomorrow, think a million years ahead, but there's only one place you can be and that is still just in this present moment. And in that sense, there's nowhere else to be. On a certain day, a man was seized by a, a spiritual thirst. So he went into the he went into the forest, you know, as he did, just to relieve your spiritual thirst. Uh, and what he did was he sat under a tree, sat cross-legged, and started chanting, "Home." Not bad at that, Asho. <laughs> um, so he sat down at a rock, and as he was chanting, he saw a fox, and this fox lost both of its two front legs so it was in a pretty bad way but it was still somehow well fed and healthy it's pretty odd right for the old man in a jungle that's governed by the law of the survival of the fittest how the hell can a disabled but healthy animal still survive through through this jungle he kept on meditating he kept on meditating and then he heard the growl of a lion he thought holy shit i better get out of here for a sec and he uh he he stopped chanting he popped up a tree then what he saw is he saw the lion had brought this big chunk of meat in his mouth and he walked up to this crippled two-legged fox who was missing his two front legs, popped down that little slab of meat, let the fox just chew away and the lion just, just uh, started walking away as the fox tucked into his dinner. So every day when he kept going to this same tree, he noticed this exact same thing was happening in every day that the lion kept coming up to this fox and then giving him a slab of meat for, for dinner and it was a bit of a bloody miracle because... Mm-hmm. He thought, this has to be a message from God. And what he's telling me as I've been sitting here chanting, doing my om, he thought, why the hell am I going back into town to get my food? Why don't I just sit here? Because um, God will be able to come and go and get the meat like this crippled fox and serve me dinner every time. Yeah, he thought it was a message from God. It was like a, through, through seeing these two animals operating in the world, he saw that this was a message, something that he could take on. So he thought he was going to do the same thing. He sat there. First few days are okay. It was a bit of a tummy grumble, but he was all right. On the fifth day, he could barely stay conscious. On the seventh day, he was really grasping at life. He was at the throes of death. And then thankfully, a yogi was uh, just wandering through the forest that day and saw this bloke sitting there, emaciated. His ribs were showing and he was saying, what the hell happened to you? And he replied, I got a divine message from God. And he told him the story of what happened. But then the other yogi commented, why the hell did you choose to imitate the crippled fox rather than the generous lion? That's a bit of a whack, isn't it? Mm. It was a spirit. It was a message from God, the yogi said, but he looked at it the wrong way. But it's important that we notice that we've all got that choice. We've got a choice between inclusive action or paralyzed volition, between intelligent dynamism or pathetic fatalism. So when we say our life is our karma, it means that your life, it's your own making. And the moment you absolve yourself of responsibility... Your life is going to resemble that of the crippled fox rather than that of the generous lion. Mm-hmm.